everyone, and welcome to Minute 68 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today on this lovely Wednesday in the, in the beginning of October is Brett Stillo, a filmmaker, a former MXM host who will hopefully at some point do another one, but for the time being, we'll have to just deal with him being a guest on other people's shows. So welcome back to the show, Brett. Thank you, Rob, and happy hump day to all of us. Yes. Uh, it's Wednesday. The week is just breezing by, and uh, I, I had a question. I had a question sure. for you, because your opening has that great uh, musical riff that yes. I know so well. Is that recording, is that the original uh, Backdoor Santa by Clarence Carter, or is it the remixed Christmas and Hollis by the immortal Run DMC? Which it's one Christmas and Hollis. It's Christmas and yeah. Hollis. I listened to both. I couldn't tell. And I can't now I can't remember. Is is Argyle listening to that in the limo at any point? Yes, he is. Yes, okay. he is. That they put that on as they're they he puts it on as they're about they're they're about to get to uh, Nakatomi and John says, Can't you uh, can't you put on some Christmas music? And he goes, This is Christmas music. <laughs> and I thought I, that was I the perfect you. I thought that was the perfect music to 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 use as my intro and outro for, for, for this season. And I'm, I'm glad that, that you noticed and you, you enjoy it. Hopefully everyone else enjoys it too. You know, I, I, I thought that it needs to be just instrumental. I, I didn't want to, you know, I, I, besides getting into the whole issue of, uh, you know, copyright issues of, 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 of using the, the lyrics also, but I, it's just a subtle way, but it really gets you into the mood for, for Die Hard. Yeah. And it's got that swagger. No, it's, it's, it's perfect lead in music. And, uh, like I said, I, yeah, yeah. Just having that, that riff, that those heavy horns, you know, that's yeah. like, that's funky. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with, uh, I'm with Argyle. That's a perfect Christmas song. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so episode 68 begins with a newscaster interrupting the movie and ends with, uh, Dwayne telling it like it is. <laughs> We so, do call this episode Dwayne telling it like it is, but yes. yes, that is true. So basically, yesterday we ended things off with Holly leaving the office after she uh, was, you know, she's she's quite happy that she was able to get him to concede the two of her requests to her two requests. She actually only had two requests, which you'd think she would have thought of more. You know, like maybe let some of us go, or you know, <laughs> let me go, <laughs> get Ellis out of here. He's coked up and he's going to cause a lot of problems. <laughs> And it could be there's there's a lot of options of what they could have tried to do at that point, but in the end, she just had her two little concessions, which are good for Ginny and good for everyone else who uh, you know really need to pee. So, <laughs> so this this minute starts off where we see Hans, you know, and then it, the screen pans to the side and we see the TV and it says, and we hear a newscaster saying, "We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin." And then we see, this is Richard Thornburg, live from Century City tonight. Los Angeles has joined the sad and worldwide fraternity of cities whose only membership requirement is to suffer the anguish of international terrorism. Approximately two hours ago, an unidentified group of men seized control of the Nakatomi building, sealing off all entrances and exits. All telephone lines have been cut, and the only communication now possible has been through the use of CB communicators. 
which the group apparently brought with them. According to official sources, the perpetrators, and then it gets cut off. And that, that's yeah. all we hear of his his report. You know, it's, it's a synced report. Uh, th- there are facts here that are incorrect. But, you know, that, that, that goes yeah. without saying. You know, for him to say that it only happened two hours ago, you know, we already know that this is approximately 11 o'clock at night. They showed up at dusk. You know, dusk was around 5.30. So it's been about five hours. Um, but but I find it very interesting, the, the way that he, you know, decides to just, you know, talk about terrorism in such a, uh, a simple fashion. Yeah. You know, again, it goes back to what we were talking about on Monday and what I've talked about numerous times and stuff like that. You know, even here, he's 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 not playing up the fact that terrorism can be something that's really, really dangerous. You know, it's 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 you know, we're just we, we can he's basically saying now we can say L.A. is part of a, a, a great fraternity, you know. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very weird monologue. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he's saying sad, he's saying sad fraternity, but he still, he means it's a, it, it, it's, it's a, uh, it's like a check mark saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're yeah. now, we're now in, in the big leagues. Yeah. I can't remember, you know, we don't, I don't know, can't remember if Thornburg any, says anything like this, but it's, I feel like this uh, broadcast is his audition for the networks. This will get me out of L.A. <laughs> yes. Next up, I'm going to be working with Tom Brokaw. So, you know, I think and you could kind of see Richard being that superficial, like, oh, this is going to boy, I'm I'm right here. This is like the guy covering the Hindenburg explosion. I'm set because that yes. whole. Yeah, that whole that whole. I think it seems like a real legit newsman would say, you know, there is an incident occurring. This is what we know. And you maybe save that for the end. I mean, he does this lead in about Los Angeles. It's practically it's it's like something out of Dragnet. But, yeah, it is. You know, we talked we touched on this Monday. Um, it It's sort of the, you know, you know, America seemed to be largely. Uh, you know. What's the word I'm thinking? You know, t- it just didn't happen here. It right. was just, you know, and that was, I think, part of the shock of 9-11. Hey, this thing, this only happens in movies like Die Hard. No, nope. right. No, nope. this is this is reality. And um, but, it, you know, it's interesting, like when you look at this, this terrorist group, and that, that's kind of interesting to me, Um you know, they they seem to be kind of based on those, you know, those like rogue Marxist groups that were running around. I think they were largely sort of neo-Marxist, you know, the, the Red Brigade in Italy. And there was a there mm-hmm. was a German terrorist group. You know, they were they were kind of more like gangs. And, uh, you know, they had their heyday back in the 70s. Right. And it, I mean, it does seem, you know, they, they were sort of like smaller versions of specter really yes um and <laughs> which, which, which like, you wonder you wonder if they actually thought of those ideas by watching james bond movies <laughs> yeah yeah well you know one thing like you know an american terrorist group i don't know if, if i'm remembering this correctly but the symbionese little liberation army who kidnapped patty hearst and robbed a yeah. bunch of banks and 
the mm-hmm. Bay Area. They orig- apparently they, if I if I'm remembering correctly, they started off as a theater group, and they wanted to do like in your face improvisational street theater, and how that goes from uh, from street theater to Robin Banks and being in yeah. shootouts. <laughs> but there, I think there is a certain level of theatrics and. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's a good time to like touch on, maybe you've talked about this, you know, the, you know, Hans Gruber is, I feel based, um, at least in part on the notorious Carlos, the Jackal from the 1970s, you know, the well, we, haven't, we haven't discussed this, but, but, uh, the, the question is, is Carlos was, was known as the leader of a terrorist group. Now, he, you know, later on, they're going to talk about the fact that Hans Gruber was part of the, uh, was it the Volksfreie movement or something like that? And yes. they, how they issued a communique that he's no longer part of them. So he wasn't the leader, you know, that, that's the only thing. But then again, we also know that Hans isn't really a terrorist. <laughs> he's just, True. you know, he's, he's using terror to, to, to plan his heist. You know, it might have, it, you know, the fact that he was part of this Volksfreie uh unit or whatever you want to call it that it means that that he does have terrorist ties yeah you know, which which for all we know hans could have joined them for for two years just in order to set this up so that you know everyone yeah. would believe that he really is a terrorist yeah you know i can see him doing that that he's not really there but he's just you know all right let's yeah. just pretend it's also funny to me i mean you know the, the one of the great you know, metaphors of the eighties or whatever you want to call it, you know, like in the seventies, maybe he was a fanatical idealist. Uh, and that's the seventies. And then the eighties come along and it's like, Oh, money. <laughs> you know? Right. That's true. Has a, yeah. In our universe, Hans has a, uh, he gets in a cocaine party with Gordon Gecko. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's like, you're a, you're a great guy. You're a great guy. How did you get to where you were? How do you get to be you? You know, I got two words to say to you. Greed works. Oh, I like that. <laughs> greed is good. Greed is, as you're right, greed is good. Greed is good. Greed, greed works. Problem. No, I think greed works is the next uh, phrase okay. that he says. But, yeah, I think it's interesting uh, to show, like, a fanatic who – or to speculate a fanatic who just gets really greedy and is like, you know, to heck with hiding out in a in an abandoned warehouse in the Alps. Yeah, I'm just doing this for money. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so I think you know. As this whole thing goes through, I mean, first of all, they, they they you know the fact that they focus in on the TV and then they they focus out and then we see that they jump from the TV in Hans's office to. Or but it's actually Holly's office, but still, and and then we were it transports us to the limo where yeah. we, where we have uh, you know our, our good friend Argyle who you know they, they they keep he keeps jumping up in the movie because they want to keep reminding us that he's still there you know yeah every so often he gets like a, f- a few seconds just to say oh wait a second Argyle's still around <laughs> you know we want yeah. you to yeah. we want you to be aware that we're going to use him later you know that type of thing. Yeah. You know, he, he he's still on the board. Yeah, and he's he's, he's he looks like he's having a blast. He's having a lot of fun there. He's drinking, you know, and then he like takes takes the the fills up a glass and like toasts himself. You know, like lifts it up as if he's toasting himself. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you know, you you were mentioning that in in the novel he's an old guy, he's an old company guy. But does, when Argyle picks him up, does he not say, "This is my first day"? In the movie, yes. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, yeah in the movie, it's, it's it's basically you're my first ride, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I can't imagine what the rest of his week's going to be like, but um, no. It's, it, and you know, one one great thing about this movie is <clears throat> with all these characters, they just, you know, hands uh, cheers to the editors. They know when to cut to a character. Yes, That's a great time to remind people. Oh yeah, there's still Argyle in the limo. Yes, for um, sure. So so yeah. I mentioned that he toasts himself. Where where do you think the idea yeah. of of toasting comes from? Oh, man. I'm not you know, talking about bread is... toast. I'm talking about, you know, uh, yeah. booze toast, wine toast. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm pure speculation here. This is let the B, the BS is going to fly for a minute. And maybe it's a little like the handshake, you know, which is, as as you probably know, is like, hi, I don't have a weapon. <laughs> oh, OK. I don't have a weapon either. So I could see the toast being something far more medieval and Machiavellian. And, hey, you know what? I'm going to drink this just to show that it's not poisoned. <laughs> and uh, I could see it as being like some kind of a, you know, now it's, yeah, weddings, birthdays, parties, good times. But I could see it originating in, in far more tense situations. Brett, you uh, so you, you are you are much more intelligent than than you actually think, because you're you're right with some of the things that you just said. Your your <laughs> worked. <laughs> I have a used car to sell you. Then um, there you go. There you go. So a toast is a ritual during which your drink is taken as an expression of honor or goodwill. Okay, the term uh, may be applied to a person or a thing. That is being honored, the drink taken, or the verbal expression accompanying the drink. Okay, thus a person could be the toast of the evening for whom someone proposes a toast in order to congratulate or for whom a third person toasts in agreement. Okay, the, the ritual forms the basis of the literary and performance genre of which Mark Twain's To the Babies is a well-known example. Okay, so then the custom of touching glasses evolved from concerns about poisoning. Okay. Yeah. Clinking, clinking glasses together would cause each drink to spill over into the other. Okay. And uh, therefore, you know, people wouldn't be giving, putting poison in the other glass because it might, uh, you know, cause trouble for themselves. There are different stories that the word toast became associated with a custom in the 17th century. Okay, based on the, the, the custom of flavoring drinks with spiced toast. The word originally referred to the, the lady in whose honor the drink was proposed, her name being seen as figurative, figuratively flavoring the drink. Okay, the International Handbook on Alcohol and Culture says that toasting is probably a secular vestige of ancient sacrificial uh, libations in which a sacred liquid was offered to the gods blood or wine in exchange for a wish, a prayer summarized in the words long life or to your health. So nice. you, you got the you got the poison part right there. That 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 was good. Kudos to you on that one. 
had a had a hunch. Maybe I've read about that before. But anyway, that's yeah. yeah. Uh, or maybe or maybe you've tried to poison people and they've said to you, "Don't do that," because uh, if we clink glasses, uh, you might have trouble. Unless you've uh, you know developed uh, you know a a uh, oh what's that what's the thing from from the Princess Bride? <laughs> An immunity. Unless you've uh, uh, you know it's iocane powder. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, a, I'm yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fan of like small doses of poison. You know, that you which go. does not kill you makes you stronger. But, that is true. That is yeah. true. And Argyle is completely shocked when he hears this that there's a terrorist act going on in the exact place where he's in, and he like puts his drink down really quickly and and uh, you know looks at the remote and you know makes makes it like louder and. It's it's just pretty funny because like he's he's like he he takes the um you know he he jumps to the, he scrambles to the front seat in order to turn on the CB in order to hear what's going on and stuff like that you know because once they mention that the only communication is via CB so he's like oh wait a second maybe I'll be able to hear something yeah. from that yeah. you know which which apparently he knows you know where to check for the police banter. Which which gives him a lot of credit, you know, as a, you know, either as a cabbie or as a limo driver, he knows. Like I wouldn't know how to, you know, quickly find the police banter, you know, mm-hmm. uh, channel. I would I would have to be flipping back and you know one by one and saying, okay, there might be something here, but uh, you know, and and then they once again have another great transition here because they go from us hearing the sounds on his CV to you know seeing the police themselves. And we hear, yeah. you know, Unit 5, hold your position at the main entrance. All right, guys, we got Charlie Unit positioned by the parking structure. You know, and then someone says, let me ask you something. Does this stairway go up to the escalator? So it's, and then we, we see that it's Dwayne asking that question. <laughs> you know, and we, we see like a whole bunch of uh, SWAT guys, you know, running along to, from one level to another level. But, and, uh. You know, and then then we continue with more conversation. We see Dwayne and one of the SWAT guys. Yeah, that's where we're going. Then he goes, tell them tell them to go ahead through the lobby up there and try to draw some fire. You know, so they 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 do a great job of showing us, you know, uh, uh, of of what's going on and how you know they're 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 trying to deal with this situation. You know, the police automatically they're saying, okay, we're going to send SWAT. In. They're not even you know. Dwayne like doesn't even care about anyone else or what anyone else thinks or anything like that. You know, doesn't care. And then, you know, Al turns to him and goes, "What's going on?" He goes, "What's it look like? We're going in." So, you know, it's it's uh, you know, he he's he's in charge. He's not someone who's going to be asking anyone for their advice. He's doing what he wants, what he thinks is right. You know. It's possible that he was at some sort of uh, New Year's Eve party and wants to get back to it. You know, wants to try to finish this up as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah, and then just, I, you know, I also feel like, yeah, I, I we talked about this Monday. Does is it possible Dwayne knows Al Powell's uh, career? Because it's sort of like you know we're taking action when you didn't, or you know you 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 know you had a moment that you can't get over and you know we're we're just charging in because it seems like yeah it seems like he just 
has, I mean, he has no respect for this officer. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's because he knows. I think he's just, he's like, okay, I have the authority to do this. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it could be. It could be that. Yeah, I might be reading too much into it. but uh. Right. Again, I, I, I don't think that Robinson is the type of guy who would really care about anyone. You know, about Al's history, who cares? Yeah. That's a yeah, that's a that's a good point too. Um, but he's just he's he's just not a very good people person though. We can agree we can absolutely agree on that. He's, yeah, but he he still was able to to move up the ladder. So he he's true. He knows he knows whose butts to kiss. I think that's what it comes true. out. True. And yeah, you know, yeah. I mean I would yeah, totally agree with that. Like I think he's a he's a bureau cop. Yes. Yeah. 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 For sure. One thing I wanted, since we were we were talking about Argyle a moment ago, this yeah. was funny to me because are you a Stranger Things fan, my friend? No. Oh, okay. I've seen I've only seen the first first season of it, okay. um, and and I didn't like it that much to to warrant wanting to watch another season. But the the truth is, I I don't watch as much TV as movies because I like the idea of being able to 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 see something for two hours and and that's it. You know. I'm, I don't. I don't need to wait every week to see what's going on and stuff like that. Like even you know when when some series come out, like I you know the you know you have the Andor from the Star Wars Star Wars right. anthology, and then you have the the new Lord of the Rings stuff and the new House of uh, uh, House of Dragons. So I'm waiting for those to finish, and then I'll watch them all at once together. Yeah, I'll you know, binge them together instead of having to wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then it just it, in a sense it does. Have you know you, you get the the whole narrative at yeah. once, much like a movie. Exactly. Now I'm with you. I uh, I I love the the ritual, if you will, of okay, we're going to spend an hour and a half, two hours. It's going to be this. We're going to have a beginning, a middle, and end. We're going to go on a journey, and we're going to see what we can see. But um, yeah. which is why I like TV shows that 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 have you know a great arc. Like one yeah. of, one of in my opinion, one of the best written TV shows was Babylon 5. Okay, the, oh, the, yeah. the special effects were crap and everything like that, but but the fact that J. Michael Straczynski was able to create a story that he knew was going to be a five-year arc yeah. and, you know, put it all together like that. You know, and, and there are other shows that, that, that have done similar types of things, but not as pure, not, not in a pure fashion as he did it. You know, like how I met your mother was great. How they were able to connect things over the seasons and stuff like that. And watching it, you know, once it's over, is so much a pleasure to, to see how they connect things. Um, obviously, Lost is another example of of a show which does stuff like that. You know, so you want to see the end game. That's the whole. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down yeah, to. I think especially in you. One thing I I think I have a good sense of is if I if there's a series I do get into. You know, sometimes you, it's like, okay, yeah, you you have a this show has a a goal, an objective. It's it's a there is a, a reason for this journey. Sometimes you watch a show, or it's you start to get that sense. You just made that up. <laughs> you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. <laughs> You're just like, you know, uh, let's we need a guest star. Boom. But uh, now, Stranger Things. I bring that up because uh, you know the Duffer Brothers are you know. Dudes who are born in the 80s who are obsessed with the 80s and they're always throwing in 70s and 80s movies, references, uh, your uh, your Easter eggs, 
And so the most recent series of uh, season five of Stranger Things has a as a fun, lovable character by the name of Argyle. Oh, wow. <laughs> drives the characters around. He's a very different character. He's sort of more, he's more of a cross between Jeff Spicoli and a driver, but he has a pizza delivery van who he rescues people with. And I just said to myself, hmm, Argyle, I wonder where that's coming from and where, what the, you know, who do they, what movie or TV show is that a reference to? And now I know. It's oh, wow. <laughs> it's Argyle the limo driver. So that's right. Great. Oh, wow, that's very cool. Great drivers named Argyle. So now I know Argyle. So thank you, <laughs> Duffer Brothers. Thank you, uh, John McTiernan. There you go. There we go. <laughs> all right. Do so you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the script? That's all. All I just had to say the thing about Argyle, and I feel so all much right. better. Let's go on to the Great. script. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that to me too. It, it 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 makes me start thinking that maybe I want to see more Stranger Things. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I need to find the time for it. That's my. Yeah, that's that's the problem, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the script, there's a lot of discrepancies in this particular uh, minute. So the first thing is is that when Thornburg is giving his his speech, so he says that tonight Los Angeles has joined the sad. Um, the sad and worldwide fraternity of cities whose only membership requirement is to suffer the anguish of international terrorism. Now, in the script, it says um, where Los Angeles has joined the sad but worldwide fraternity whose only membership requirement is the awesome specter of international terrorism. Now, the awesome specter, as opposed to saying the anguish, yeah. <laughs> awesome specter makes it sound as if it's even more that he's happy that yeah. this has happened. <laughs> Yeah, I I think it's also a code word that, that Thornburg works for Spectre. That's Could my be. own personal there theory, the theory there that he was uh, he was sending a, a message out to Blofeld. But, there you go. <laughs> okay, and then Argyle. A lot happens with Argyle in the script that doesn't happen in, in the movie. So it says it it shows Argyle in the in the limo. And it says he reaches for the remote and says, what else is new? The camera pulls back and we see the Nakatomi building rise up in the background behind Thornburg. And then Argyle is stunned. He says, holy <laughs> shit. And then we hear part of Thornburg's uh, speech. And then it says Argyle is already bailing out of the car. You know, he basically gets out of the car and starts running. Argyle looks, uh, looks at the metal gates, swallows. He jumps back into the car and pours himself a stiff drink. <laughs> And then Thornburg continues with with uh, his speech, which is a little different here. It says, since all the telephone lines have been cut, the only contact with the building has been through the use of CB communicators, which the terrorists brought with them. Strangely enough, so far, the terrorists have not communicated directly with the police, but an unidentified man has had several conversations which seem to indicate. Aha. Okay. So again, the, you know, Thornburg knows, according to the script, that John is talking to the police. Which I'm glad they cut that yeah. out because it, it it works better that we don't have that. And then it says Argyle nearly spills his drink as he leans over the front seat and turns on the CV. <laughs> and then it says outside the building, signs of activity along the edges and shadow of the area. Men in vehicles, the snap of weapons and breaches, footsteps, footsteps running in unison. Powell picks up on this. 
turns to Robinson, who is standing with the SWAT Captain Mitchell. And then, then he asks what's going on. And then Robin says, what's it look like we're going in? So it's a little different, but uh, it still works really well in, yeah. in the movie. You know, I don't, it doesn't need to be changed, but, but, you know, I like seeing the differences between a previous version of, of the script. You know, I don't, I don't know if this is the very first draft. I'm assuming this isn't the mm-hmm. first draft of the script that I have here, uh, but it's obviously also not the final shooting script. Yeah. So there's something, there are discrepancies, you know, along the way, which work really well. Exactly. All right. So every, every Wednesday we have a segment called Hans Hump Day where my guest will give their top five Alan Rickman uh, performances. So why don't you start with number five and work your way up okay. to number one? What this is embarrassing, first, Rob, because you'd think, oh, this is going to be easy. But then, uh, and I'm an Alan Rickman fan, uh, but I realized, looking at his credits, I've only seen three Alan Rickman movies. Yeah, oh. it was like, I, I had to have seen more. And I'm like realizing, no, I really didn't see Robin Hood. I kind of know some of his scenes from Robin Hood, but um, where he's really chewing it up. So um, I really like the three movies. I think. <laughs> um, but don't worry. I've, cu- I've, I've been working on this. So uh, Die Hard, favorite Alan Rick. No, we start, start with number oh, five. five. Uh, start, with start with the lowest. Nice to see, uh, you know, that's, that's a fun one because he just, he plays a, you know, he plays a sympathetic character. He plays a romantic character. Mm -hmm. It shows, yes, what a charming fellow. Um, And then I would say, this is a tricky one because I would say next would be Die Hard. I don't know if that counts. Okay. And then I'm going to say that my favorite, it's not, it's, it's tricky because, well, a Galaxy Quest, no brainer. Um, and I think in Galaxy Quest is w- my favorite Alan Rickman moment. Uh, one of my favorite moments I've ever seen an actor do. And that's his, by Grab Thor's hammer line, you know, as, as the young alien is dying towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm sure you've seen that one. And most of our listeners yes. have, you know, he's, he doesn't like that line. He doesn't like saying it, but there's this nice, sweet kid dying. And it's, you know, I, I've, I've seen that one scene many times because I think it's one of the most moving scenes I've seen in any movie. And it's just like his intuition as a, as an actor, anybody else might do it more like with anger or a sense of like vengeance, but he like, it would have been fascinating to hear Rickman's thoughts on, you know, you're dying and, you know, just like giving the kid comfort. So the way he just whispers it as a comfort, you know, by grab Thor's hammer and, you know, it gets me choked up every time. So that's, you know, one of my, yeah, one of my favorite scenes in just about any movie. Since I only have three Alan Rickman movies, I can supplement by giving you two Hans Gruber movies. <laughs> okay. I don't know. If, let's let's hear what other Hans Gruber movies yeah. you have. And they're two of my favorite movies. So, are you? Do you like Reanimator? I'm I'm not much of a horror fan. Fair so, enough. You know, I've I've seen it. I've seen it, but I I can't say can't say I remember that much about it. Well, then I there's a Hans Gruber in that movie. There, in the very beginning, in the prologue. 
uh, Jeffrey Combs' character is working with a mysterious Swiss scientist named Hans Gruber. So there's a professor Hans Gruber in that. And then, you know, one I wonder if if maybe, you know, Jeb Stewart, you know, I, you get the sense that the, you know, the, the folks who made this movie. Wait, Dr. Dr. Gruby was, Gruber was played by Al Barry. Barry. Okay. Wow. I, I, he's the, that's funny because yeah, the, he's only in it for a minute and he turns into a monster, but yeah, they're, you know, they, and they do make references to poor Hans Gruber. And then, uh, then we go back to 1965 and one of my favorite movies, our man Flint with James Coburn. And there's a particularly nasty international assassin that uh, Coburn fights to the death in uh, a filthy men's room in Turkey. And, uh, you know, Coburn turns to his assailant and says, Hans Gruber, you escaped the Nuremberg trials in 1945. <laughs> and uh, I do wonder. That was right. That character was played by Michael St. Yeah, Sarah. yeah. Wonderful uh, guy who played a lot of. Uh, you know, kind of hulking wrestler like bad guys. Yeah. So I wondered if maybe Jeb Stewart or John McTiernan, uh, if they were Arman Flint fans or if that was just a happy accident using the name Hans Gruber. But uh, that that is the cinematic history of Hans Gruber. Wow. There, there are no other Hans Grubers. There's only three. Uh, Based on what your, your research. I, I didn't I didn't do any research. in it. So, yeah, I just. Uh, I, you found something that I didn't do research on. Just by accident. I'm a big <laughs> fan of both of those other movies. When I've watched them, you know, they both say Hans Gruber. Hey, wait a minute. Connection? It's the, mm. it's all part of the Gruberverse. There, there you, you go. go. <laughs> all right. Excellent. So would you like to tell people once again how they can get Yeah, well, you know, you can, you can find me in the usual channels, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, look look for my code name, Count Fink. Uh, someday I'll tell you the story of how that name came about. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I still occasionally on, on some of the face group, MXM groups, I, uh, I love to drop a little trivia bomb like, other appearances by Hans Gruber. Knowledge is power. There you go. And 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 you did a great great thank thing you. there. Thank you for thank you for enlightening me on that. Uh, happy, happy to share. I you know we love our movie trivia. We love to make those yes, we do. connections. Yes, we do. All right. And finding me is quite simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, or you can go directly to my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So, uh, Brett, you want to come back in tomorrow? I would love to come back tomorrow. Sure. Excellent. All right. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay.